Hello, everyone. My name is John Mark Day, and I serve as the Director of Leadership and Campus Life at Oklahoma State University. I'm also happy to be your host for the NASPA Leadership Podcast, presented by the Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. Today, we are discussing a recent edition of New Directions for Student Leadership, this one entitled Becoming and Being a Leadership Educator. Uh, that's a great topic, and I'm really excited to, to welcome the editors of that issue, Carrie Priest and Dan Jenkins. Carrie Priest is an associate professor in the Mary Lynn and Warren Staley School of Leadership Studies and serves as a graduate faculty of the Interdisciplinary Doctoral Program in Leadership Communication at Kansas State University. Through an integrated teaching, research, and service agenda, she seeks to study, mobilize, and develop effective leadership for community change. Her scholarship addresses questions of leadership identity, leadership educator identity, and critical and community-engaged pedagogies that support relational, collective, and socially just leadership development. Dan Jenkins is Chair and Associate Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. Dan is co-author of The Role of Leadership Educators, Transforming Learning. He's published more than 30 articles and book chapters on leadership education and assessment, and has presented research and facilitated workshops on leadership pedagogy, curriculum, and course design around the world. Additionally, Dan is co-chair of the International Leadership Association's Leadership Education Academy and former chair of the Leadership Education Member Interest Group, vice chair of the Collegiate Leadership Competition, and associate editor of the Journal of Leadership Studies. Welcome, Carrie and Dan. We're glad to have you all today. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you, you, you've got these great uh, backgrounds really focused around leadership education and, and leadership educators. So tell us, how did you get started? How did you get interested in doing this work? Sure. So it was a variety of, uh, of different things. Um, you know, Carrie and I met uh, back at uh, in volunteerism for uh, some professional associations, the International Leadership Association, Association of Leadership Educators, and you know we found some commonality around um, this shared interest, not only in leadership education, which was the work that we would love, but also learning more about leadership educators and specifically, you know, the uh, professional development needs of leadership educators. You know, we both fell into, uh, as many um, leadership educators do, kind of fell into the work very serendipitously and mm -hmm. and wanted to find out more about. Um, you know, th those processes, those stories, what does it mean to become a leadership educator? And so we found ourselves uh, co-facilitating focus groups and, um, you know, discussion roundtables and conferences and collecting data from leadership educators to find out what their needs were um, with respect to professional development. And uh, that we also partnered as part of uh, co-founding the uh, Leadership uh, Education Academy and collected some data um, and, and Perry also worked with Corey Similar on that work from individuals that participated in, in those events. And, you know, it was just a combination of, of us both uh, having this, you know, passion for increasing the capacity of leadership educators to do this work and to collect some, some rich data based on that. And uh, when we got the, uh, you know, the communication from, uh, from Kathy and Susan to, hey, why don't you put together a new direction series on this, um, it was, uh, seemed like a perfect fit. Yeah. Yeah, and I would just add, even from like a really practical sense, I think, you know, Dan and I started our careers around the same time, our professional careers, and um, both finding ourselves in, in a tenure track role and trying to navigate how do we 
uh, talk about what we do? How do we make meaning of what we do? How do others make meaning of what we do? Um, what does it look like to progress on a trajectory in this field that's changing so quickly, you know, and looking to different mentors and, and resources, but also recognizing there's really a, there's a need for um, kind of more resources and more understanding. And so um, I guess from well, – I also think back to the when the National Leadership Education Research Agenda came out in, I think, 2012, you know, that was a really uh, – great moment of kind of having an anchor point for uh, for making sense of leadership education research, but the thing that was missing was uh, the piece about leadership educators and hmm. um, ourselves and, and, and what's our role in, in the leadership education process. And um, my colleague Corey Seemler and I, uh, working uh, alongside with Dan and others, that was about the time we started thinking about the Leadership Education Academy and um, and then Corey and I doing some more formalized research to begin to ask that question about who is this hidden who, right? The leadership educator in the in the um, developmental process of leadership education, and uh, and I guess here we are. <laughs> Absolutely, and it's it's fun to kind of see how a career just sort of gets built, right? And and things take off as you're answering questions and thinking about where you want to go next, and you sort of look back and, and realize what a great track record that you've built. So one of the things that, that you all are doing in this issue that I, I'm really excited about is emphasizing the stories of leadership educators. Like you said, we're trying to understand uh, what, what brings somebody to this work and, and, and who these people are. And there's so much in story that is exciting to think about. So that in mind, Tell us right now what one of your favorite stories as a kid was. Uh, you know, we all love stories as kids, and, and, and what lessons that you may still take from that story in your, uh, in your current work. Well, I can go first here. This is a hard question. As Dan knows, I love books and stories and uh, collect books. Uh, so it's hard for me to choose just one, even when I think about being a child. Um, I loved reading and I loved stories, but actually what pops into my mind is I had a series of child craft books, which basically were like an, an encyclopedia set for kids. Mm -hmm. And um, and it's not a particular story that I remember, but more of the experience of just going through page after page of stories of history, of poetry and fiction, of songs, um, of culture, and just uh, how much I loved learning from those books and, you know, taking them up to my room or uh, playing school with them, right, with my dolls, like there was, or my, my siblings, right, like I, I had so many uses for those books, and um, I think that just uh, connects with me and uh, just the lifelong love of learning and um, and the, that when we collect stories, right, there's a lot of power in that. Absolutely. Learning and, and, and teaching. I mean, it sounds like your teaching career uh, was off to a very early start there. Oh, yes. My poor younger siblings had to know it. <laughs> well, well, Dan, how about you? Yeah, I mean, and it really takes me back – to, um, you know, I think a quote I heard when I was a, a teenager, which was that the only sense to be made of life is a sense of humor. So I was thinking about this question, and um, 
the first book that popped into my mind was a really ridiculous children's book that came from um, Chinese culture um, about this young man, uh, Tiki Tiki Tembo No Savrembo Cherry Berry 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 Pimbo, who falls into a well. Um, and his name means the most wonderful thing in the whole wide world. And him and his little brother, uh, Chang, which means little or nothing, are just kind of hanging out. And it turns out that, uh, you know, Ricky Tiki falls into, or Tiki Tiki falls into this well. Um, and the moral of the story is actually not really culturally sensitive. But for me, uh, I didn't even remember the moral of the story. Uh, what, what had me remembering this was that I always thought it was so fun and just silly to have to read this guy's name every single time that you mentioned him in the story. <laughs> And even though he falls in the well, it taught me to kind of have a sense of humor um, and humility as well as patience, even when things get a bit dicey. Um, and mm. so if you haven't checked out Tiki Tiki Tembo, No Sabrembo, Cherry Berry Berry, Pip Berry Pimbo, I suggest that you do. Absolutely. That's a fun thing to think about how those stories sort of stick with us, right? And, and for various, various reasons, uh, those just sort of last. And so... Well, so now that we know some insight into who you were as kids, uh, let's find out a little bit more about who you are now as educators and, and tell us what you are reading or watching or listening to that's outside of what we think of the traditional leadership canon that's currently giving you some good insights into leadership. Yeah, actually, I just I just started reading um, a book called Thanks for the Feedback, um, and uh, Kathy Guthrie had suggested that to me um, as, a, as a reading, and she'd always share with me when we were writing our chapter um, in our book, The Role of Leadership Educators, Transforming Learning, how, you know, leadership is love, or excuse me, <laughs> feedback is love, um, and, um, you know, and how that process between, you know, the giver and the receiver, or the student, the instructor, or whatever it may be, you know, is a very important process, and, um, you know, I'm a couple chapters in, um, and uh, reading this along with a, a grad student who's, who's helping us out with the collegiate leadership competition. And um, it, it's just some great lessons based on the science of, of feedback. It's mostly set on giving some tips for the receiver of feedback, but they do a good job of putting in some uh, processes and, and ideas for uh, being the, the provider. And I think that that is mm-hmm. such an important part of the relationship between leaders and followers is, is giving that, that feedback, but also being, you know, kind of a critical receiver of the feedback and, you know, not turning on those those barriers and those shields and that armor, as Brene Brown says, but actually being open to uh, to that and to be vulnerable. And, and that's how we get better. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a fun read uh, for sure so far. It's awesome. It sounds like a, I mean, yeah, important lesson. Also, probably a really tough lesson. Learning how to uh, accept that yes. that feedback. Yeah. What about you, Carrie? Yeah. So, um, there's a couple things that I'm just exploring uh, and, and find some interesting implications for my work. Uh, one is a colleague recommended the book, uh, I think it's called Designing Your Life. That might not be just the right title, but um, it's around design thinking and mm-hmm. kind of integrating that into uh, like uh, like designing your life, making like personal life choices and thinking about uh, in, uh, integration into your career. And I am working with um, a course called uh, senior seminar or our senior seminar course this semester. And so that's giving me a lot of insights into thinking about how to help 
support students who have been studying leadership and engaged in college think about the transition to career and how they um, begin to, uh, you know, design the, the types of uh, careers that they want to have. And so I'm getting some, some great insights from that. And also I've uh, just been reading a lot more about um, like work-life balance. <laughs> Again, whether or not that's actually something we can achieve. But right. uh, you know, the concept of like taking care of yourself and or managing self is is important for leaders. And, and just trying to uh, understand more about the role that plays in um, in our leadership uh, uh, practices and processes hmm. and relationships. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. I wish can also be, I mean, we talked about this with receiving feedback, but thinking about work-life balance and how you're sort of taking care of yourself can also be a tough lesson for a lot of our uh, folks out there to learn, uh, but something really important to think through. Well, this issue is entitled, uh, this, this issue is um, entitled, Becoming and Being a Leadership Educator, uh, which obviously is a big topic for a lot of the folks who are listening to this. And one of the things you do in this issue is to create a framework of leadership educator professional development. Tell us about that and, and, and what that is. Sure. Well, this framework really has been an evolution of hmm. ideas that it's exciting for us to, to be able to put into this chapter. Um, like Dan mentioned, we've over the years had lots of conversations with um, leadership educators at, at conferences and just um, informally we've led focus groups to try to understand, you know, what, is, what are leadership educators experiencing, what do they need to help support their practice. Of course, we've done some of our own research um, and around uh, some of these dimensions um, and we've had the chance to think through a lot of facets of leadership educator pre uh, preparation with colleagues through conference presentations. Um, and then also we looked back at the literature on teacher preparation and really looking into some of the educational li literature um, as an inspiration on how do you prepare educators. So, mm -hmm. so kind of a combination of all those things and then our own reflection on that led to the development of this framework that essentially um, sort of it's situated within the idea that we're all, um, in, all of our work is embedded in many contexts and social relationships that shape um, our sense of who we are and what our work is about. So context and communities is a really important um, aspect of this framework. And then within the framework, there are four domains of professional um, or that, that influence the process of becoming a leadership educator. And so when we think about professional development, um, these are some guideposts for the kinds of um, learning and development we may have. And those include the foundational knowledge, uh, uh, teaching and learning, uh, I identity, which encompasses uh, personal and social and professional identity, and then uh, research and creative work. And, and of course, there, there could be more. And uh, as Dan and I have often shared, we're, we're welcome to, for others to offer feedback and to use this as a starting point, of course, for these conversations. But then at the heart of that uh, within this framework is this idea that of, of a profession or of a vision of professional practice. And so at the intersection of these domains is where we can reflect on and think about um, 
yeah, what is our vision and that, that offers a trajectory for continually becoming and being a leadership educator? Because we don't believe that it's a destination, right? It's something that we're constantly engaged in. Mm-hmm. One of the things about leadership education is that uh, there's no one way to be a leadership educator. There's no one you know, job description. And, and uh, the two kind of ways it's, it's done a lot on college campuses, one is on the faculty side, and then one is on the student affairs side. And, and in this issue, you tell stories uh, from the faculty side as well as from, student, uh, from folks engaged in student affairs work. So what's different about those two approaches to leadership education? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, I don't know necessarily if the approaches are, are, are as different um, as the, the contexts are. And by the context, I mean just where these leadership educators are, uh, I guess, quote unquote, housed on their respective, you know, institutions. So if you're thinking just about, uh, or if we're talking just about leadership educators in higher education contexts, um, then you have, you know, those that, um, you know, pursue the traditional faculty role, whether they be, you know, adjuncts part-time or, or full-time. And, you know, some of the research that I've done and that I've read from others is that, you know, they're, these individuals are um, only about a quarter have a terminal degree in leadership uh, or related field, you know, so they're coming from, you know, agriculture and public health and public administration, political science, um, STEM fields, they could be coming from nursing, you know, um, they're, they're, they're coming from humanities, um, you know, and so, you know, that is a, an interesting side as this, you know, field is very much interdisciplinary. And so, um, you know, so there's uh, just within faculty, uh, there's this different context. And so they're, you know, coming out of the academic affairs side of the house uh, within a, a traditional institution of higher education where on the student affairs side, um, now their stories are just as serendipitous, um, you know, coming from, you know, residence life or, uh, or working in some, some work, you know, clergy or worked in sales or, uh, you know, what have you. Um, but, you know, their institutional, you know, role um, has them working in, you know, uh, in an office of, of leadership and civic engagement or student activities, working in Greek life, uh, perhaps reporting, uh, you know, in some way, shape or form to, a, you know, to an area or a division of student life. Um, and so I think those are some of the things that are that are different. Um, some of the backgrounds, you know, vary, but, you know, for the, you know, the large majority of the uh, leadership educators that, that I've uh, talked to that on the student affairs side do have some type of, you know, graduate degree in, um, you know, student affairs, college student personnel, higher education, um, you know, counseling, education, something of that nature. Uh, but, but, you know, that's, that's just a very slight majority. Hmm. And, and then, you know, coming from those different different perspectives, though, what's in common? I mean, what what do we see in leadership education sort of across the board for these folks? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think one of the most interesting things, um, and and I appreciate the way that, uh, that Julie Owen uh, characterized this in a conversation we had a, a couple of years ago, where she said, "What's this artificial dichotomy that we have hmm. between the student affairs side and the um, and the academic affairs side of, of leadership education?" And so, you know, what I think they what we have in common is the content. I mean, we're all trying to you know improve and increase the leadership capacity of the students in our in our workshops, in our classes, in our programs, you know, and, and to be really inclusive with that 
language when we talk about these things, you know, to say leadership programs instead of courses, uh, you know, and sometimes workshops works, but I think, you know, the word programs is, is more inclusive. And, you know, whether it's the social change model or we're teaching transformational leadership or we're focusing on skills versus behaviors or, or traits or, or uh, or different, you know, types of capacities, or working in groups and teams, or uh, are focusing on, you know, very, you know, uh, you know, challenging social justice, justice or political issues. I mean, I think that what we're trying to do is very, very similar. Um, you know, it, it could depend on the institutional wants or needs or mission or vision, uh, or the programs, you know, uh, mission or vision on exactly how they approach, you know, leadership, uh, education, or development. Um, but I think overall we have this shared field of of content, and I think that that is more uh, a similar um, than anything else, probably only second to the way that we deliver leadership education, which does tend to be very experiential in nature, very discussion-based, you know, activity-based, uh, you know, uh, reflective, if I already, I'm not sure if I already said that, how I said experiential, um, you know, in this idea of theory to practice. Absolutely. And, and I think that's right. I think, you know, uh, the, the work is the same. Uh, everybody just gets to come at it through a different lens and opportunity and, and perspective. Um, one of the things I really appreciate about the work that you all have done in this issue and, 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 and elsewhere is emphasizing how important it is for people engaged in the work of leadership education uh, to find others doing the same work, to build those communities of practice so that they can feel less alone because sometimes it can be uh, sort of an isolated field. And so how, how do people do that? How can we help those engaged in the work of leadership education find their community of practice? Yeah, no, I think too it, it piggybacks a bit on, on the prior question of, you know, what do we have in common is that we're all out here to, to be, you know, leadership educators and, again, you know, uh, increase that capacity of students to do that work. And so um, part of the community's practice, you know, there's greater communities of practice of just, you know, leadership education generally. And, again, that's inclusive of, you know, both the curricular and the co-curricular side of things. And, you know, I always – um, you know, push my, my colleagues that I see at conferences that, you know, they've always gone to, you know, more academic type of conferences, and they say, well, I don't work in the student affairs space, but I'll, my response will be, well, what might you learn if you go and interact with some of those folks and go to some of those mm -hmm. sessions at, like, you know, an LEI or a NASPA or, or something like that versus, um, you know, those, um, you know, spaces and places you know, like um, the International Leadership Association or the Association of Leadership Educators that just traditionally have had more academics, but, you know, we do see a lot of student affairs professionals attending those um, uh, events and professional development opportunities as well. And so I think those communities of practice uh, because, yeah, oftentimes we may be the only person doing leadership development or education on our on our campus, and I can't tell you how many times someone's walked up to me at, a, at one of these conferences and said, hey, my fill-in-the-blank, you know, BPSA director dean asked me to start a leadership program, so here I am. Um, <laughs> and so the, I, think, <laughs> I think those communities of practice, um, you know, are very much, you know, I think the lowest hanging fruit are these professional associations, and there are you know, interest groups like the ILA has the leadership education member interest group. NASPA obviously has to go through the leadership programs knowledge community. Um, the Association of Leadership Educators, the entire mission of the, of the organization is, um, you know, is a place to develop uh, leadership education and, and leadership educators. And, and so I think it's, you know, that's probably one of the, the easiest ways to reach out and find, you know, like others in the field. And, you know, and I found that, 
you know, it, it's such an inclusive environment. You know, it's, it's, there's so much mentorship and, you know, hey, have you met this person? You know, have you, have you seen this, you know, webinar or th- read this resource or can I connect you to this person or that person? Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, that uh, just paying it forward, if anyone has ever, you know, done that for you, um, I think is, is one of the best ways, I think, to, you know, help guide other leadership educators towards the community of practice and, um, you know, and by connecting them to a network, uh, making them feel less alone. Yeah. Yeah, hugely important. I, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, it's great that there are opportunities out there for, for meeting other folks and, and building those connections and learning from the great work that has been, do, uh, been done uh, on other campuses and, and in the field. It's, it's an exciting time for this work. Uh, so, Carrie, as you all were putting this issue together and talking with folks and reading what they were writing, what surprised you uh, in putting this together? Well, we had so much fun working on this project and uh, thinking back to, you know, the earliest stages where we were trying to identify potential authors and topics, you know, really we just, um, we came up with a really diverse list and people from different um, kind of contextual backgrounds or um, even like disciplinary backgrounds of uh, people with different levels of experience, and then we asked a lot of them to work together, um, sometimes for the first time, uh, maybe even uh, meeting each other. And so I think what was surprising, um, or in, in, a, in a really exciting way, was just the way that this issue itself became a, a, a way of fostering community, right, and, mm-hmm. and building those relationships and uh, a really generative force uh, for, for the folks who were involved. Um, and yeah, the, the the process of putting it together kind of illustrated the way that uh, engagement within the field becomes a workspace for our own identities and our own developments. I think I div- I grew a lot from this process. Uh, I, I think Dan would say the same, and I think you know many of our authors would share share the same. So uh, it was exciting that you know, as we're advancing these ideas of, of using the book as a, as a space for creating community, we, we were also doing that, right? Like in the process, yeah. it was a case of that. And so that was really cool. Yeah, I, w- I would imagine it's got to be very fulfilling playing sort of professional matchmaker and, and seeing these uh, relationships thrive. It's got to be, it's got to be really exciting. <laughs> yeah. the, the authors are, were amazing and just the, the, the content, um, the ideas and the insights and the, and the stories shared are, are really powerful. Absolutely. Well, you all have been involved uh, in understanding the field of leadership education for, for a while now and, and have built careers out of it. How have you seen this field grow and change? Yeah, that's right. I, I think that both in um, – in, in size, and I guess by that I mean in, you know, in quantity of the different types and, and number of leadership programs, not only in the, in the U.S., but, but also abroad, um, and then also in, in diversity. Uh, one of the you know, um, best pieces of feedback I ever got, and I, and I read about this in, in a recent article um, in Journal of Leadership Education, because I, I had interviewed um, some leadership educators for a study um, 
back in 2015, if I, if I recall correctly, um, at you know, many different campuses, different states, um, and realized, um, you know, as I was coding the data and getting some feedback from some external reviewers, that um, all 13 of the individuals, and this was no nothing that I did intentionally because I had used a, a snowball sampling method and reached out to people I knew in the field at the time and said, hey, can you recommend some people that you think are, you know, fantastic leadership educators and might be willing to participate in the study. Um, and it ended up that all 13 of these individuals were, were white, um, you know, and um, that is uh, maybe at that, you know, snapshot in time was a, um, a, a fair, you know, sample of leadership educators. But, um, you know, I, I don't think um, by any means that the same is true today. And, 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 it's, and it's such an important evolution in leadership education, you know, um, you know, doing some work, uh, you know, with the Pause for Pedagogy uh, articles with, with the ILA. And, and um, last year, we, we, our theme was social justice as leadership education and got to speak with individuals from a variety of different uh, cultural and ethnic backgrounds. And um, they shared some stories with us, of, you know, and some of those most important stories were, you know, that, you know, if they're, if they're you know, um, coming from a diverse, you know, diverse background or, uh, you know, identifying as a person uh, of color and, um, and being a leadership educator, that there are some you know, very in, uh, important um, you know, things that they are um, working with with their own identities. But the students in those classes, you know, if they um, are also um, you know, coming from you know, a, a non-white background um, and they, their instructors are all white, you know, what type of message does that send? And so what has been this barrier um, that has you know, uh, you know, not led um, those from non-white backgrounds to uh, be professional leadership educators, whether it be in the faculty roles or the you know, student affairs professionals roles, and I've seen that change uh, very much, rapidly, I guess, in the last five to seven years. And and I, and I think it's you know that diversity of experiences is so important, not only for you know students that you know that are they're not white, but for, for everybody, because the more diversity of experience that you have, we're, we're a discussion-based field um, when we're teaching students leadership. It's sharing those experiences, reflecting on those experiences, uh, writing about those experiences. And so um, that is um, a, a welcomed, um, you know, growth in, in the field. And so as, you know, this pro proliferation of more programs uh, you know, come about, whether it be, again, going back to that, hey, my dean told me I should start this program, or my VPSA said I should start this program, um, and leadership, um, you know, I think that we're growing in the right ways, um, you know, more, more recently, um, and, and still young, you know, only probably 30-something years old as, a, as an actual, you know, identified field. Hmm. Which is exciting, right? I mean, there's, there's, uh, it's been cool to see how far we've come, uh, but then mm -hmm. also thinking about the opportunities that we have to, to grow and, and, and really do new things is, it's a little bit overwhelming and also super exciting, I think. Uh, so for folks who are wanting to get into the field and, and those who want to pursue leadership education as a career, what advice would you give for them? Yeah, so... One, one thing that I will also notice has changed over time is um, more formal pathways into the profession, more graduate mm -hmm. programs, um, more, more people identifying early on, like, this is a career I want to be in, and how do I do that? And having 
the opportunity to work with graduate students um, at my own institution and, and um, across other institutions and just uh, connect with them has made me think a lot about, yeah, what, what is, what's important? And so I guess, you know, I would say, and this, you know, some, someone might not dis- might disagree with me, but I would say read a lot um, because, again, there's so much, um, there's so, so much exciting new literature around leadership and, um, and developments around leadership, particularly in uh, the areas of critical leadership studies, and that it's important not to just default from a content perspective or even from a practice perspective to the things that we experienced in our past that we liked. Of course, that's a great starting point, but that to really, to, it's important to really uh, explore where are the edges of the field and what does our world need and how do those collide? And so, uh, you know, to really have that kind of forward-thinking mindset because the work of leadership education is about preparing people to exercise leadership in, in a diverse and changing world, and we need to make sure that our, um, you know, uh, practices and our content are, are staying up with that. Um, but then kind of at a more practical level, of course, is getting involved. You know, Dan and I both mentioned just how beneficial it was to get connected just by volunteering, right, in some less glamorous roles at conferences. But the mm-hmm. connections that we formed um, through that participation was really valuable. Um, and so getting connected to professional communities, um, I recognize that attending conferences can sometimes be a barrier for folks because of funding. But, um, you know, as as you're able to connect even virtually through webinars or uh, other online connections. Don't be afraid to reach out to um, a, a scholar or an author or a practitioner that um, that you want to connect with because we're all just people. <laughs> and Absolutely. you know, it's it's sometimes just reaching out and that could spark a conversation or they could connect you to another resource or group or an opportunity. Um, I think it's important to recognize that uh, nobody knows exactly what to do. Uh, I've talked to a lot of folks who early on are just feel maybe overwhelmed or even in um, some of our research on, um, on leader, leadership per, educator professional identity, the concept of imposter syndrome comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a natural part of this process. You know, we're operating in a space where there's um, a lot of unknowns and a lot of interpretations, and certainly we can rely on best practices, but also we have to trust ourselves and, and our students and, and recognize it is a learning journey. Um, yeah, and then just continuing to seek out mentors and professional friendships because um, relationships are really uh, vital to you know, our own um, kind of uh, happiness and health, and I think it helps to help the field continue to grow. Yeah, absolutely. Such, such great advice. And, and again, circling back to those, just pursuing those opportunities to build that community and build those relationships, which I think for all of us we've learned are key to uh, success and, and really thriving in this field. So the, the last question that I have for, for both of you is, you know, you've done a lot of research and a lot of thinking around uh, this and leadership educators and leadership education. So what's next? What is the next question about leadership that you're both thinking about? Well, I'm going to throw you a curveball. Uh, the next question about leadership I'm thinking about is followership. So, hmm. um, you know, I've just been thinking really, uh, you know, deeply about this idea of, uh, of followership and followership education and, um, you know, I've been 
you know, connecting with some individuals at, at, that I've met at various conferences about, you know, so, you know, this is now, you know, uh, a new uh, concept. And well, not necessarily new, uh, but, but now kind of, you know, emerging, you know, I think about, like, you know, the, the book that, uh, the, the leadership theory book that is most widely used is that Nordhaus, you know, uh, theory and practice book. I think it's in the eighth or ninth edition now. And that um, Peter added a chapter on followership. So, well, it must be important, right? It's important right. Um, and so, how do we teach this? You know, we um, if we want students to really um, understand and, and participants in our workshops to really understand this this idea and this concept, you know, what are the most uh, you know, effective ways to um, to teach it. What types of activities are going to be most effective? What types of experiences or assignments and learning activities, you know, are really going to to help uh, our students understand, you know, what this is? And so that is uh, something that I'm really diving into uh, head first. Um, you know, I, it's exciting any time that there's you know a new concept. I always like to think, well, how how, gonna, how might we teach that? You know, how are mm -hmm. students going to uh, re relate to that? Where can they find experiences from their own? Uh, lives that uh, will make this concept real, um, and so that's that's where my head is. Awesome. What about you, Carrie? Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Lots of questions that I'm interested in. Uh, <laughs> but for the past few years, I've been um, kind of thinking a lot around uh, the concept of collective leadership, um, mm. kind of like collective and relational leadership or leadership. Um, more as a, like a social construction, and how do we uh, understand right collective leadership? But going back to what Dan was saying, how do we teach people to engage in the work of collective leadership? Because if we're thinking about leadership not as just something that individuals do, but 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 as practice that happens like among and between people and objects and and material and technology and all these things, um, that requires like a, a different mindset and a different kind of set of practices or orientation to the work. And there's some really fantastic scholars who are, who are doing work in this area, but as a leadership educator and developer, um, I think it's a challenge to think about how do, our, how does our, how do we teach beyond uh, kind of individual leadership roles or even like my role within a team to to a more collective orientation, and that requires, uh, you know, um, different kinds of uh, yeah, different kinds of methods and um, yeah. of teaching, and different kinds of methods of research. So, along with that, I'm also really interested in advancing um, kind of methods of inquiry or, or research methods for within leadership education that um, encompass uh, kind of more collective or community engaged strategies. So more to come, I hope. <laughs> As you know, there's always like lots of ideas, but uh, getting them into tangible things takes time. That's maybe advice too for folks who are mm, leadership education as scholarship. Uh, it, it takes time, <laughs> and yeah. over time we will come to new insights. And I'm excited to for there's a, there's a lot of great scholars coming up in our field, and um, it's just exciting to be a part of this community. Absolutely, especially when you're thinking about. You know, not only are these questions big questions, but to answer them, we're going to have to change our methods of inquiry. And so that's not a that's not a simple thing to uh, to advocate for or to start doing. But it'll be really cool when all of these conversations come to fruition. And 
we, we continue to see these things get built. So, well, thank you so much to Carrie Priest and Dan Jenkins for joining us today. What a great conversation about uh, developing leadership educators and what that role means uh, and their issue of New Directions of Student Leadership. About that is out now. Uh, thanks to everyone out there for joining us for the NASPA Leadership Podcast presented by the NASPA Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. Uh, you can get more information about the Knowledge Community on our social media outlets uh, or on Twitter at NASPA SLPKC. We're on Instagram at NASPA underscore SLPKC. And you can connect with me on Twitter. I'm at John Mark Day. Uh, and if you are interested in being a guest on the podcast, or you know somebody who should be, or you have an idea for what we should be talking about, we want to hear from you. You can send us an email to naspaleaderpodcast at gmail.com. Carrie, Dan, uh, thank you so much for being with us today. It was great having you. You're welcome. Thank you. It was fun. Awesome.